Welcome to Multifamily Syndication Unscripted, a show that teaches investors the truth about multifamily real estate. Your hosts, Ben Labovich, Sam Grooms, and Scott Hollister have more than 30 years of combined experience in real estate and finance. We are active multifamily syndicators and operators, providing you with detailed and cycle-appropriate content. Absolutely no fluff. So, if you want to be smarter about how and where you put your capital to work, listen up. You will learn what works in today's market conditions. I want to kick us off with a blanket statement that I make all the time everywhere, uh, and people still miss it. Um, Everything, I shouldn't say everything because there's no absolutes, but 99.9% of things, whether you're talking about income or you're talking about expense, in real estate is denominated in dollars, not percentages, dollars. People miss this because oftentimes folks look at the income and say, well, this expense is going to be X percent of my income. That expense is going to be X percent of my income. This is completely wrong. It completely doesn't paint the right picture. And payroll is the easiest element, the easiest line item in the operating expense structure of any deal to show this reality. So, And not only that, when I'm reading forums, a lot of times I see people not even account for payroll. They, they don't distinguish between property management and payroll. And they just have one line item in there and they don't understand that you, ha- you need to have both. Well, and, and you don't have to have both if what you do is fourplexes, you right. know, that kind of property. And, but, it, but the problem is, is when people are graduating from that into larger pro- properties and trying to underwrite them and they don't understand that you need both. Right. So just to take that back in a professional, let's call it institutional property management infrastructure. Here's what you have. You have a property management company that charges you a percentage. Underneath them, they have an employee called a regional manager. Under that regional manager is five communities, 10 communities, 20 communities. This person is a satellite person that tra- uh, travels to all of these communities to make you, he's the, or she's the link between the mothership property management company up here at the top and the actual properties over here at the bottom. Now, so this person, this regional travels. Underneath this regional, on every property, you have payroll personnel. And you will always have at least two. You will have an office person and you will have a maintenance person. You have an on-site property manager and you'll have an on-site maintenance super. So those people that are on-site are paid via payroll. They are employees of the property management company, but the cost of their payroll, including their FICA, their health, their everything else, all of those costs are passed on to the property and therefore passed on to you as the owner of the property. The percentage that you pay for the property management will range in this case between three and 5% typically, uh, but that pays for your legal, for your accounting, for your uh, regional, 
And it'll also incorporate a profit margin, obviously, for the owners of the property management company. So this is kind of the infrastructure that we could coin institutional, professional, institutional, call it whatever you want to call it. So as far as the payroll, so now you have these at least two people. Now, we have a separate conversation brewing here about how many units, what kind of top line does it take to absorb the cost of this infrastructure, this this professional, uh, institutional level infrastructure, which is a separate conversation. For now, we're talking about payroll. So the question you're really asking is how much money is it going to take to have an in-office person and a maintenance supervisor in terms of salary, FICA, health benefits, other benefits, uh, overtime, uh, you know, bonuses, whatever. How workers much? Comp. Yeah, workers' comp, all of that, all of that, right? So to answer that question, you simply go to your marketplace and you'll see what it takes to be competitive, right? But let's just do the number for Let's say the office person is going to cost you $50,000 a year in just, you know, their salary. Let's say the supervisor is going to cost you $45,000 a year. So now you are at, you know, these are full-time people. You're at $95,000. You will have 15% on top of that in FICA. You will have health, you will have, uh, what else are you going to have? You have bonuses and you will have a worker scump. And so before you know it, that number is going to be somewhere between 120 and $140,000 for these two people. I think a rough estimate you can use is 25% on top of the salaries. Right. So here, here you have it. You have to absorb into your property operating structure, 120 on the very low side, 140 on kind of a high side or something in between for just two people. You get what you pay for. So what kind of property does it take to be able to absorb that? Notice we could take the top line revenue and back out a percentage that reflects our payroll number, but it is an output. It's not an input because I can't go and put an ad that I'm hiring my payroll people and tell them I will pay them a percentage of my top line revenue. That's just not how the market operates. It's not how it's set. They want a salary. Well, and not only that, as if I'm paying 800 rents or, or I'm charging 800 rents or 1200 rents, the salary is not going to change for my people based on that. And that's a huge difference. You're talking about a 50% increase. And that's my overriding point. That's why you can't use percentages. Hmm. And, you know, payroll is just one line line item. But what we should talk about is that every line item is like this. Let's say you have to replace a window. To replace that window is going to cost you the same thing whether your unit is generating $500 a rent or $1,300 a rent. The percentage relationship is going to be vastly different. 
but the actual cost, if you are going to denominate it in dollars, is going to be something very, very, you know, not even close, right? So or the, the cost is going to be the same, but percentage relationship is not going to be close. So uh, payroll is just an easy one to understand because folks need to make $45,000 a year because that's what the market is. But one of the big questions I see is, why do I need full-time? Why can't I just hire two part-time people and do half the cost? And, and the biggest reason I see is those people are, are usually going to be looking for full-time work. So you're going to have high turnover with your employees. You're going to have a lot of training costs. You're always going to be just turnover costs of your, uh, your employees. And yeah. you're not going to get the great people. You're not going to get the best people that want full-time work. A situation in which I've seen this work is let's say you own an asset where, um, you know, you, you have two full-time employees because there's enough units to absorb that. Um, but then you go out and you find a, a smaller property, but it's close enough it's within, you know, a half a mile from the other property. And it, it just, it doesn't require. So then you hire a couple of part-time people and, between those two full-times and those two part-times, they handle both properties together. So it, it, it kind of can work. It can make sense. You can kind of share. Or let's say, you know, you find two assets that are 50 units each, and neither one of them needs a full-time person, but you do need a part-time here and a part-time there. But the problem the problem becomes when you have two different syndications for those two properties, you need to underwrite those on their own. Yeah, this is not syndicatable though. Yeah. That the, yeah, that whole thing that's it's not it's not syndicatable because the problem is not even whether you can run it. The problem is syndication is a flip, so it's all about the exit. So when you prepare your thing to look a certain way, what's your buyer going to look at? And your buyer is going to have to pro forma all those expenses, regardless of what you can do. What's your buyer going to feel that they can do reasonably in this situation? And maybe it's convenient for you to swap people, but likely for your buyer, it's not going to be convenient. So where does that put you? So this is more of a long-term hold. Like if, if Sam and I and Scott turn around and decide to dump a million dollars each into a property and we, you know, we can do whatever. Like the three of us, we don't, you know, whatever. But in a syndication format, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. Dave Van Horn talks about all the time when he was working with his company he said, you know, putting good employees with good health insurance, you get a better class of worker that wants to stay because they need the health insurance for the family. So it's, it's huge. Yeah, that's a good point. What's the minimum? I hear around 100, 115 units for one full-time lease and one full-time maintenance. And, and, and it depends on your rents. So what are our rents that we look at for our properties, it's right around there, 100 is the good number. So, and I guess this is a good point. You start getting economies of scale in certain ranges. So we get up to, we just bought 117 units and it takes pretty much the same personnel. Um, but we get to spread that over 117 units. 
So, so it's very dynamic, right? So in a hundred units, <clears throat> and it depends on your top, it does depend on the top line because if your average rent is $1,500, then you can absorb two people on payroll with fewer units than if your average rent is 950, obviously. What we do is buy class C property. Class C property is defined like the main characteristic of class C property is that it's basically in the range of $750 a month to $1,200 a month. It's it rentals, okay? It's something that cannot be... A class B property may be a little bit older, so it may be 13 years old, it may be 15 years old, it, it may be requiring some updates, but it's not... It, it's still quite competitive. It's quite competitive with class A. Class C is defined by the fact that you can't replace it. The rents are low enough to where you can't build new property to replace it. That's class C. That is, in America today, in most markets, $800 to $1,200 a rent. That's your class C. Now, I'm not talking about going into a small town in the middle of nowhere where a luxury, the most luxury thing is $1,200 and most rents go from $400 to $700. I'm not talking about that, but in the major A and B markets where people have jobs and people have income and there's population growth and things like that, where you have class A construction coming in at 1,500 to 2,500, your class C is going to be that 750, 800 to $1,200. Cardone talks about this all the time. This is where you want to be. This is where the people can't really afford to buy a house but they want something nice to live in. This is your class C that you're making into class B, our bread and butter. Well, that's an average of $1,000 a rent, let's call it, okay? That's $100 a door, 100, 100 units required to absorb payroll, plus or minus. Could you get away with 95 units? Yeah, probably. Could you do a little less than that? I don't know, get skinny. Um, but what happens is then you go to 120 units. And depending on the mechanical setup and the age and the condition of the property, chances are really good. You can still cover it with the same kind of personnel. But by the time you spread it on a per unit basis, your payroll is actually lower because your actual payroll dollar number is the same, but you have 120 units. Now you go to 130 units or 140 units. Now you've got, you're taking a step back. Why? Because you can't handle 140 units with the same personnel. So now you are adding another maintenance guy, maybe part-time, and you're adding another office person, maybe part-time. Well, the problem is you need those people for 140 units. But the same people could handle 155 units as well. So it's, it's the same situation all over again as going from 100 units to 120, where you keep the same payroll. And then once you cross a certain number, then you have to grow your payroll. And then your efficiency steps down. So that cycle repeats itself as you go. So there's, there's like these sweet spot things like 120 units is an absolute sweet spot. You know, like you can handle it with two people. You can keep your payroll down. 
If you go to 140 units, you might as well get 150 or 160 because the payroll for 160 should be about the same as payroll for 140, but it's a lot more economical spread over 160 units than it is over 140 units. So it's a moving target. Uh, and, but, but the important thing here is denominated in real costs, dollar amounts, like how much do I need to pay these people? How much is their FICA going to cost me? How much is their uh, bon- bonuses going to cost me? How much is the vacation time going to, you know, all of that stuff denominated in dollars instead of percentages. And so, Ben, what are the, what would you say the general guidelines are for per person? As, just 100 units, every 100 units, you're going to need an additional person and 150, I'll need one and a half. Um, so 100, you're going to have to have one and a half yeah. uh, in some way, shape or form, because what you have is a full time. Yeah, I was, just, I was just talking about just each role separately. So just the manager. I'm going to and made it separately. So. What you need to understand, you guys, is that typically a property manager won't be there on Saturdays because, you know, that's just industry-wide. That's not how that works. So whether you have 100 units or you have 400 units, you're going to need somebody to come in there on Saturdays. So right away, you have one full-time person in the office and you have a part-time person to, to kind of you know, complement the full-time person. And sometimes the full-time person is going to be away during Monday through Friday. They're, they're going to, you know, the, somebody's going to have to step in. So uh, typically you're looking at needing somebody full-time, which may cost you $23 an hour, $25 an hour. It may cost you $19 an hour, depending on your market. It's whatever the market dictates to get a good person. Then you're going to have to have somebody part-time for a few hours, maybe 10 hours a week or whatever. Okay, Um, then you have to have a maintenance guy. And frankly, you know, the reason we're getting away with being able to be with one maintenance guy is because of several things. One, we're not buying anything older than mid 80s construction. So we're not buying things that will continually require a lot of maintenance attention. Two, we're replacing everything as part of our scope. So we're replacing all the typical things like leaky faucets, like, like you know, like all of those mechanicals. Yeah, every plumbing fixture, every lighting fixture, it's all getting replaced. We're going to just occupy this person's time. We're replacing all of them as part of our renovation scope. So while we may need extra help, at the outset, when we take over a property, there's going to be things we have to do on an ongoing basis because specifically we're replacing everything. We can get away with using one full-time maintenance guy, and that's working out well for us. Um, but, you know, I ask myself, okay, how many more can he do? If we had 140 units, would we still be able to do that? And the answer is no, he wouldn't be. And so now we're going to have to hire at least a part-time maintenance guy to help them, you know, if you're in 140 units. And 
what what Sam and I do is every time we look at a property and we underwrite a property, we actually spitball this. We look at the mechanicals. Like if you have a boiler system at the property, forget it. All of all of everything I'm saying is off the table because you're going to have so many leaks. You're going to have so much nonsense with the boiler and chiller that you're going to have to have a totally different maintenance setup. Okay, you're also going to have so many unsatisfied clients that you're going to have to have probably additional help in the office just to deflect all the nonsense that's going to be coming your way because the boiler or the chiller isn't cooling well enough, the boiler isn't heating well enough, all that nonsense, okay? So all of it that, so, so, which is a good, interesting lesson, this is all teed up by what you bought. If you've bought the right property, these numbers kind of make sense and you can predict them. But if you bought the wrong property, it's like you can put gold plating on it. It's still a piece of shit. And it's going to cost you more than it should. Okay? okay? That's a separate conversation. We can define all of the characteristics of a gold-plated piece of shit. But that's, that's for, for, for a different conversation. But Sam and I sit down and we kind of go through every number, including payroll, and we try to rationalize through what it would take to run the thing. Uh, and, and, you know, what... And then once we have it figured out, we send it over to our PM. And I think that's a very important step. Mm -hmm. You need to have the professionals look it over. And and that actually helped us in between Silvertree and South Mountain. Because when we, when we were underwriting between those and we send it to Randy for approval, that's when we found out that labor prices had actually gone up in the last couple of months. And he made us increase our underwriting numbers. Mm -hmm. So that was my question just starting out was, you know, let's just say that the broker or the property manager just put in salary capped. That's just what it costs in the operation, you know, expenses. Do you take that number? And then is that where you find out there's that 25% bump for the FICA insurance? You know, you're working on your first syndication. You really don't know those numbers. So is that your recommendation again? Pass it by your property management company? Yes, absolutely. It's very dynamic because the market changes all the time. I mean, Phoenix grew 1.5% in terms of population. I'm not sure if Phoenix, but Arizona grew 1.7% in 2018. Most of that growth, let's face it, was Phoenix. So with that kind of population growth, you can expect incomes to go up. And this job is no different from any other job. Incomes are going to go up. And so these guys are out there putting ads for these people all the time, every week. And they know what it takes to get somebody who's any good, you know? I'm not, I'm not gonna spend money putting ads, continually running ads. I don't, I don't need that because I only have one property when I have it and, and then I put it together and it might be six months before I find the next one. So like, what am I gonna do, you know? But, but the market moves in that time. So it's very important to, you know, you kind of have your baseline defined because now you have a couple of properties. You kind of know what you're paying people. You know what you're getting for that money. So you have that baseline. So it's not going to be tremendously different, but it's going to vary. Also, it's going to vary 
uh, per location of the property. It's going to vary with your business plan because for us, we're repositioning the property. What does that mean? Well, we're making it really nice and we're going to attract a different kind of tenant base. Well, to manage that tenant base, you need this kind of person in the office. However, if our business plan was different and we weren't repositioning the property, we were doing things differently, well, to manage that tenant base may be a little more difficult. So you actually need to spend more money on payroll to get a more higher qualified person to collect those rents and everything else. So, so it, it not, it, this line item doesn't exist in vacuum, just like no line item exists in vacuum. Wise words. <laughs> how, come you're not, how come you're not in the management company, Ben? You didn't want to take that position over, save a few bucks? Um, actually, that's a good question. So you may know that I have a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. Uh, redundancy is very important to me. One of the very big reasons I want to have a partner who is very capable is so that if I get taken out, there's somebody whom I trust and whose skill set I trust. Looking over the enterprise and able to bring this thing to a soft landing if anything were to happen to me. Okay, that's one thing. Second thing is I certainly don't want that job uh, of a property manager uh, because, again, if I get taken out, that's a hugely important job. So to protect my investors, I want it sourced out to third party so that there's not even a seamless transition. There is no transition because I'm not involved in that kind of day-to-day operating stuff. You know, and I, you know, that brings us to like, do you vertically integrate or do you not vertically integrate? And I, I you know, I know people that do it both ways. And right now where I am in life, I don't like the idea of vertical integration. One reason I don't like it is because I don't want to be this knight in shining armor that only I can do what I can do. And if something happens to me, then what happens next? That's one piece. The second piece is uh, just it, 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 yes, we can, we can save some money by being vertically integrated, but this redundancy that we lose by being vertically integrated is, is worth more to me than the money that I would save, uh, that I would make or my investors would save by, by not having to pay a third party. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that, that, I guess that's basically it. It's For me, like, I, I don't think, even if you didn't have MS, Ben, I would not want to be in the property management business. No, it's, no. It's a job. Yeah. I, I don't want, I don't want an accounting department. I don't want HR. I don't, I just don't want trainings and that's, that's not why we got into real estate. Yeah, no. And I think the general consensus just from, you know, reading a bunch of books, interviewing a bunch of people is property management really doesn't add anything to your bottom line per se. You don't make money on it, but you do control, like you said, the vertical integration. You might you know, retain tenants a little bit longer. But mm-hmm. again, I think there's a certain scale to that too, where you have to have a certain amount of units in that area to make sure. Right. Um, and again, it, 
it might be tough with the syndication too. If you're running multiple ones at the same time, how do you budget that in as well? Right. Right. So, so we oh, have, I, oh, go ahead, Ben. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to switch topics. So go ahead. Um, so we have payroll. Um, so what about property management? So that you're just saying three to 5% and three to 5% of what is it? <coughs> three to five percent <coughs> is what we are paying a third party that we could be paying ourselves like if we were the management entity but the, so that's three to five percent of my collected income right yeah <coughs> so you have you have that percentage that goes to the pm and then you have payroll and put together, that's the cost of your property management infrastructure. Yep. Um, so when people are getting a T12, they'll notice these two separate line items. I'll see property management, and then you'll see label, labor or payroll on a separate category. Yes, and this is, this is true for every institutional property I have ever underwritten. It's just true across the board. I mean, once in a while you come up with like, you know, a uh, uh, hundred unit that is owned by an individual. You're still going to have payroll because you can't run. I mean, you're going to spend too much money. You're still going to have payroll. You may not have the, the, the 3% of property management because you. And that's a good point. It's like for Silvertree, they didn't have the 3% property management. It was the the owner and just one manager and the owner was basically the property manager. Right. Or the exactly. property management company. It was about as far from professionally run as you can get. Yeah. That reason. All right. What else do we need to talk about with regards to payroll? What, what, what are the bullet points? Denominating dollars. It doesn't exist in vacuum, meaning your strategy, your business plan uh, impacts what kind of people you're going to need on payroll, right. how much that's cost. What payroll costs is a function of the marketplace, a competitive environment. How much do I have to pay to get these people working for me? And it varies. In Lima, Ohio, it costs one thing. In Phoenix, Arizona, it costs something else understandably um yeah 50 percent of the gross income <laughs> that's right that's right what did you go to brandon's webinar or something Where does it <laughs> be nice <laughs> i love him um so i take i take my the number of units so i take the number of units my mechanicals my market cost for labor get my total cost and that how many people I'm going to need. And then I divide that by the number of units and that gives me my per unit cost for that property. And that per unit cost, you know, I've seen it. And there's reports out there. There's reports that track this thing. But you are on the, on the payroll side. Uh, let me look at that. I don't want to quote you wrong. On the payroll side, I've seen it anywhere from like, 1100 to like 1300 and again that difference is that you know the mechanical setup of the property and the efficiency of the unit count so 
<clears throat> you know, sometimes you get offering materials that are $950 per door. That's never going to happen. That, that's just, that's just not enough money for payroll. Uh, that, you know, it's unrealistic, but what, what I'm seeing is somewhere between 1100 and 1350 and, and the smaller units you get, you know, the, the further. So like, for example, let's do the math. Let's take $130,000. Okay. So I have my, my computer here, uh, my calculator here, $130,000 divided by a hundred units is obviously $1,300 per door. Okay. $130,000 divided by 117 units divided by 117 is $1,111 per door. Okay. So when you go through your expense column that, that tracks per door pricing, this is, this is $200 that makes a difference because now instead of looking at, let's say $5,200 per door of expenses, now all of a sudden you're looking at $5,000 per door. Are there other efficiencies to be had also because of this unit count uh, situation where, where things go a little bit lower? Well, sure, marketing, office, administrative costs. I mean, you only need so much paper and you don't need to buy more paper or more ink really that much for 117 unit as you do for 100 unit. Um, you don't need to place any more ads that are going to cost you any more money. I think we should I think we should have another episode just on those other line items. Yeah, we should. We should, but this can, this... can we step back for a minute? Did you just use a 10-key calculator, like old school? I yeah. thought I heard that. I was going to say I have... This is where my wife does her bookkeeping, and she still has one of those things that print, you know, there's a roll of paper in it, and it prints a thing, and... Yeah. <laughs> I found about your sophisticated model that you don't hand out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> paper and pencil and a 1980s calculator. <laughs> yeah. Where do they sell that paper? Do they still sell it at Staples? I don't even know. Look, it's like on the antique. It's on the desk. I don't know the last time it was used. It's just on the desk, and it's right here. And I was like, I felt pretty cool actually doing that. <laughs> I felt like I had something you guys don't have. Yeah, you were pretty quick with it. I don't even think you looked when you were typing. He, he broke it out for the payroll episode. I got skills, dude. You were a bookkeeper in a prior life. No, <laughs> really not, which is why you handle it. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. Did That's we good. say everything we want to say about payroll? I think so. Look at my, look at my T-shirt. Can you see what it says? Don't focus on my boobs. Focus on what it says right here. Phoenix Information Workshop. This is for, uh, for, for, for the last one we did in January. Next one is next January. Fancy. Talk about walking the spreadsheets and line item by line item. That's good. That's how you learn, though. Breaking it down by line item, line item. You really know, get to really understand. Because that's the stuff that can bury you. You underestimate a few of those expenses. Yeah. Yep. All right. Want to take us out? Samuel, take us out. 
Well, thanks for listening to the multifamily syndication unscripted show with uh, Ben, Sam, and Scott. Uh, see you next time. I think we're going to talk about what are we talking about next time? R and M and contract services. I don't even know what we're going to say about that, but we'll talk about it <laughs> for a half an hour. <laughs> we guarantee it. <laughs> thanks for listening, you guys. We'll talk soon. Bye bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Multifamily Syndication Unscripted with your hosts, Ben, Sam, and Scott. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time on Multifamily Syndication Unscripted. When people ask me how come I want to partner up with Sam, it's because of his bald, sexy head, you know. And then you, on the other hand, you know, like, like you can't even move the microphone close enough to your face because you got, you know, and then you got to get up in the morning and you got to brush the thing out and you got to oil the thing up and you got to make sure, you know, cause that's like, gotta be like 25 minutes of work just to, you know, just to take a look at it and just to run your brush through it. I'm thinking like, what's the commitment? Like what's the, is it a fashion statement? Is it a, uh, a ruggedness a, a, a point of view on life statement. What, well, you know, what is it? Like, what is it? It's like getting a well, tattoo. Yeah, it is. Well, I could tell you the story of the beard. It started out with a uh, no shave November challenge. And then I put it up on Facebook. I was like, Oh, if I get a certain amount of likes, I'll just keep going it. Cause I was in between jobs and kind of doing the own real estate thing. And the likes like surpassed it real quick. So it went from uh, no shave November, don't shave December, jungle January, furry February, madness March, and it just kept going. And then, like you said, Ben, I mean, you get to a certain point, there's an itchy phase, as you know, and then you get ride past that, it's great. And then it gets too long where it becomes too much maintenance. So you gotta gotta keep it within that, like the itchy slash too much maintenance. But, 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 but I have to say, I have two friends with beard, you and Brandon Turner. I gotta tell you, you do make it classy. Brandon is just freaking. He, he's he's just like a hillbilly on a on 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 a on a board, you know, surfboard. I just you know, I, I keep telling him, can't you make it look like Scotts? I mean, like if you're committed to a beer, just just make it look like Scotts. He's a sexy. It's 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 a little better. I don't know the whole. It's funny how you started, Scott. I I actually was clean shaven my entire life until No Shave November. Uh, back when I was in SEC reporting, and obviously I couldn't grow up that big um, working with like CEOs and VPs, but yeah, I just never shaved it after that. Keep it a lot shorter though. Yeah, water twice daily, and you know you just let it go. Well, I always got the shadow. You know, it's it's just it's just you know I don't have to look at my face that way, <laughs> the way God <laughs> made it. You know, I'm enhancing it in some way. And that's it's less comfort- maintenance. Comforting feeling, you know? I would think the shaved head is actually more maintenance than the beard. It takes 15 minutes a day. Every day you got to clean shave it, right? Yeah, I, I get that, but it's sexy. Like, you know <laughs> you're doing it, right? Like you're Am I on the right podcast? Is this, should I hop off this call? You guys want to? What, what are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs>